Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. On today's episode, ladies, we have Param uh, Bala. She is a, a physician who recently became uh, financially free and just really excited to have her on our show today because she speaks about so many important things, the, the journey, if you will, of financial freedom. It's really not a, it's not like a destination. And I think what was most helpful uh, that we really get to is, is the power that there's really not one one way to do this. And she kind of talks a lot about, okay, consider your risk tolerance, consider X, Y, and Z. So we really get into really some specific um, areas that you really need to think through and, and, and kind of brainstorm so that you can make the right choices of, okay, if this is my goal, which does, you know, which strategy is going to get me there? So, you know, it, it, it was really helpful to kind of go through that, right? Andressa, to really talk through what her journey was, it may not be someone else's, but it was really some great, great kind of thought-provoking buckets, if you will, that we need to look at in order to get us in the right direction. Yeah, she realized when looking at the quadrants, right? She she was in a different quadrant than her parents. She was on the employee quadrant while her parents were in the business and investor quadrant. So something didn't match there. And, and then she stopped and she thought about what is, my financial freedom number. And I think that this is super important. Unless you get down to that number, things are not tangible. Things are like very overwhelming and you're like, oh, 10, 15 years until I reach that. So we go there. And I think that if you're listening and you want to become financially free, but not when you're like 70, right? You're just like, no, how can I do that? in a shorter period of time, in a way that works for me and for my family and the lifestyle that I want to. So she shared her strategy and how she was able to do that. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 Exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com. Or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investor Show. We are excited about another episode here. Uh, we have Param Bala on our show today. Welcome to our community, our show, and you know, sharing yourself with, with everyone here. So thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited. Yeah, we're looking forward to uh, jumping into your story here in a moment. Uh, if this is your first time uh, listening to our podcast, thank you. Thank you for taking your precious time, right? Time is the one limited resource we have. I always like, we always like to say, right? So thank you for taking time. We don't take that lightly. Andres and I uh, bring our A game as, as much as we can to this podcast and just pouring into all the women that are on this journey with us of creating financial freedom. 
in a balanced way. So That's thank you right. for taking time. And uh, and if you're on this journey with us and you've heard all of our episodes, thank you too. Uh, we continually like to kind of step it up and just give you as much value as we can in the time with you. So we always like to kick things off uh, with just a quick tip, right, Andressa? Just something that's yeah. coming up for us and coming up for, we always like to say, if it's coming up for us, it's coming up for other women. <laughs> and we really are all about creating a community here that's not just about creating financial freedom, but doing it in a way that works for us as women. Uh, with all the things we have happening in our worlds and in our life, and it just gets a little... We can't just laser focus, do one thing in our life, right? Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of things going on. And how do we do that in a way that works for us in our own terms? That's what we're all about here. So, uh, Andressa, I have a, I have the tip, right? It's your turn. It's my we turn. It's we your take turn turns. <laughs> we, we, we're polite most of the time. <laughs> so, when we remember. <laughs> yeah, when we remember. That's right. Um, so here's what I have for you this week. I, I had a conversation, um, had a conversation with a friend, uh, and, and she was going through, um, you know, a, she had a tough conversation with, with someone. And, uh, and, and it was interesting because, you know, we're talking and I'm kind of like the, uh, the friend therapist, you know, most people do come to me, um, I, you know, and those, yeah, because I actually got well, interesting note about myself is that I got my degree in social work. So I actually wanted to be a therapist. That was my goal. And then I never actually professionally fulfilled that, but I think I am just, uh, um, un you know unlicensed therapist if you will but anyway talking with her and she was sharing a few things that happened with this um communication breakdown in a, in a simplistic way and she's sharing it with me and and I and I and I, I the first thing that came to my mind obviously I'm being empathetic because I, I I do that very well I, I I hope to do that well but the first thing that came to my mind was I thought what did she do what what could she have done differently to maybe cause a different reaction and we had a conversation, you know, we had a really good conversation. We've had a couple of conversations since then, but something popped in my head as a follow-up to that. And it's really very subtle for women specifically that that was the first thought I had. I mean, I was there, first I was empathetic, of course, but the second thought or the third thought, whether I said it or I didn't say it, I did say it because I have that relationship with this person, but why do we always go there as women? You know, in, in a sense of like, what did you do to cause this. And I mean, I know now she wasn't being um, physically abused. That wouldn't have been, obviously, I know, you know, that's not appropriate and that's not the reaction. But why do we do that in such a subtle way? And why, why did I do that? And I'm a very empathetic person. I just got me thinking and getting really curious. Like, I gotta stop. That was not, I, I wanna stop doing that. And it's not about for women and, and being empowered. Like, we shouldn't always, and I say that to myself. So me asking her is also very reflective of my own processes. When something doesn't go right, or do, 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 I always come back to myself. Now, there's a light there that we all need to be accountable, right? What could I have done differently? And that's an empowering thought on one level. But why was that the first question I had for her? You know, and I think it's a subtle, it's subtle in our society. It's subtle as women. It's subtle in our upbringing that we do kind of take things on. And, um, you know, maybe it's in light of women's equality, uh, you know, celebrating women's equality this week. I don't know where, you know, I, I, I was got, got really curious and I had a really good thought in my process. And I spoke to her afterwards about this too. Like, we got to stop saying that as the first thing. Um, you know, yes, we need to take accountability. Yes, we need to look at ourselves in situations and say, hey, what could I have done a little differently? But I think it's very subtle for women to take it all on us. We take it all on our backs. And we don't be like, no, that was, that was inappropriate or that could have been done differently. And I don't own that reaction from that person. Mm -hmm. And I think um, we all need to do, I could do a better job of that. I think we all need to do, watch the subtleness of, okay. right, of um, just taking it all in, being the, the punching bag. And I think women need to stop that in our lives and we need to stop even supporting people in that way. Like, mm -hmm. yep, they're done differently, but hey, let's talk about you and how that was inappropriate and how let's, let's talk about now we can go from there. So I just want to share that because I'm learning always and growing. And I think it's the subtle things in our lives that either we are able to grow or we just keep doing what we're doing. And I'm, yeah. you know, we're, we're leading a, an empowered group of women in our, in our society. So you sure as hell better believe that I'm going to keep looking at myself in the mirror and saying, 100%. I want to do things a little differently. And I want to stop that with women because women are much stronger and much more resourceful as we're giving ourselves credit for. You know, that 
you know, because it's subtle, because it's not so explicit, it requires a lot of awareness, right? And otherwise we wouldn't even think about it. And I think that, you know, when I hear it, well, he or she did that. That's why I reacted this way. If you, he or she, they wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have reacted that way. And I just don't agree with that whatsoever. Whatever somebody does, it's on them. How I react to it, it's on me. Has nothing to do with what they said or how they said, how they put. We really live in a melting pot, right? From English, it's not probably your first language, neither mind. And we have this conception that we're playing the same game, the same field, and we make assumptions. Oh, he said that that way. This is what it meant. And we we, we need to take a step back, take a, a deep breath. Um, Always. Read the four agreements, the book, Four Agreements. It's one of the best things that I will highly recommend. And, and come from a place that, okay, independently of what people say, how I react to it does not, has nothing to do with how I perceived. Yeah. Has, and it, it's on me. And, and the women listening for the first time are like, I thought this was about real estate investing. Let me <laughs> yes. Don't turn the don't turn the off button just yet. Um, <laughs> what, what, why this is so powerful is why? that we are why why the hell you're talking about this? Why I'm talking about this is I just I just like to talk, so I just think of things. Now I'm talking about this because it's really important to be very number one honest with yourself to say what's working, what's what's not. And really, quite honestly, as an investor, as a successful investor, you continually have to think about the relationships you're building and the results that you want. So it always comes back to what results do I want from this relationship with a lender or a private money partner or a tenant or a new business partner, right? It's all there for us as investors. Um, And so many times we just, we just sometimes we give our power away and we don't look at what I could, you know you know, how I can show up as my best self and my best supportive self. And in this situation with my friend, I am going to be supportive, but I also need to be think, I mean, to be thoughtful about how things play out in very subtle way, especially for the role I have. And then what I've taken on in my own life that take that very seriously, what Andres and I are doing. Um, this is, this is not just a business. Um, this is a, this is a passion for us. And so I take that seriously, very seriously. I don't take a lot of things seriously. That's one of them. And so I think we often as leaders of our own lives and our own investing journeys, we have to be like, you know, wow, okay, I can, I can say this a little differently, or I need to do this a little differently, or um, I need to watch the subtleness of my own stuff, whatever your stuff is. I don't know what your stuff is, but I know you have something. <laughs> we all do. So that's why I'm bringing it up because it is so connected to becoming a better, a better investor, especially as you grow in the journey and you start lending money out. You start being like, you're completely financially free. That's when the stuff even matters more, not when you're actually starting out. So I, I just I just say that because I want to speak to the women that are part of our community. Uh, all of it matters. So without getting off my um, good stuff high horse, I don't know talk, talk whatever that's called. I never forget what the terms are called. I'm like, um, <laughs> but anyway, I'm gonna stop saying that and transition to our wonderful guest. I don't even uh, know what that is, so I'm like the, the new word. Haram, do you know what I'm talking about? When you're on a high, you're not you're on your high horse. Or you're on your. You're, I you're, think it is high horse, getting off the high horse. Right? Yeah, getting off the high horse. Okay, thank you. I always say the wrong right. thing. But I, I like, get where you're coming from, Andres. A lot of the, uh, you know, the the metaphors are lost on me too. <laughs> when you come from a different culture, that happens. I have no excuse to not know these things, but I just do. <laughs> and I think my kids have taken all my brain cells. So that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rack it up. Um, but thank you so much for being on our show, uh, Param. We always like to kind of kick, kick things off with our guests um, with, you know, what propelled you to get involved in real estate investing? I know, I know it wasn't boredom because, uh, you're a medical professional, so I know it wasn't that, but I'd love to hear in your own words, what, what propelled you to get involved in investing and do all the amazing things you're doing now with, uh, with your investings. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Let me start off by saying that. And just to uh, hop onto what you were just talking about, just with women, I think it's so important for us to find that balance between accepting ourselves and taking responsibility for our actions, which is exactly what you were talking about. And um, 
as investors, when we uh, when when we're on this journey, I think as women we have more limiting beliefs, right? That stop our, us, and then we also take on other people's limiting beliefs because they're they constantly passing it on to us. And I think we tend to take that on and stop ourselves. And I've done that, so I think it's so important to, that you talked about that. It's it's key for anyone who's investing in real estate. And I also want to say how much I enjoy listening to your podcast. I love how both of you bring financial freedom and having a balanced life together because that is so important. So this year, even uh, even though I'm a medical professional, I'm a radiologist. I I became financially free and I did that because I need that needed that balance in my life. So I love what you guys are doing and the mission. But um just going into how I got it start I got started. I was born in India my, and I grew up in the Middle East and my parents were both um the equivalent of W2 workers and they had you know while they were working they were constantly buying land. My dad was a civil engineer so he was developing building these mm. small apartment complexes um doing all of that but there really wasn't a transfer of information because I, you know, uh, my dad wanted me to become a physician. And Andres, I know you, you know what I'm talking about, right? So you, you're, you know, they, 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 they want you to become a professional, and that's just what you do. So um, I am the first physician in my, I, I was, the, I am the first physician in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have one more physician since then, but um, you know, so that was my path. And I, I think the assumption just was that there was no need for me to even think about real estate or passive income because I'm going to be making good money. So why think about it? So um, all of that was happening. My parents, you know, were building their empire, but I moved to the United States. I became a radiologist. Um, I finished training and then first year out of training, my colleague at work, he he was a second, a third generation investor. And he kept, um, he, he mentored me. I call him my mentor because I used to teach him things and he would teach me investing. And he taught me about the stock market and he kept insisting that I invest in real estate and he introduced me to his team. Um, and it, it made a lot of sense to me. Um, and so I started, I, I reached out to his team, but then again, I had all these limiting beliefs holding me back. Um, I wasn't really sure. And then that was the time the market had crashed and was just beginning to stabilize, uh, 2011. And I took on other people's limiting beliefs about investing in real estate. So my journey didn't really start till, say, 2014, when I purchased my first property. Um, and um, and then I looked at the cash flow at that point, and it wasn't that much. It you know, I, I realized that I, at that time, I felt that I wasn't going to replace my clinical income, and I put it on the back burner. So I was investing in the stock market. I had this one rental. I purchased another rental in 2018, and I paid all cash because that's what my mentor was doing. I didn't understand leverage. I didn't know how to run my numbers. So um, And then 2019, um, so there's always this inflection point in your life, right? It's the the point where things change. So 2019, I had a um, you know a rough um, job transition. Um, there was a merger at work, um, a lot of uncertainty. I felt like I was losing autonomy, so I shifted jobs, and it was a rough six months. It was really hard. You know, my kids were in India. I was here and I just looked at my finances and I went, well, okay, so it's been, it's almost 10 years. I was getting close to the 10 year mark. I was like, what, how much passive income do I have? And, you know, am I, is it okay if I scale back significantly? And I realized that with my savings, I, it will only take me like, you know, four, four or five years uh, based on what my annual expenses were. And then I looked at my stock portfolio and it really wasn't throwing, I mean, you have a 4% safe withdrawal rate in retirement from your stock portfolio. So I didn't know that. I learned that at that point. And then if you apply that to get $100,000 um, in cash flow, I mean, to be able to withdraw that from your portfolio, you need $2.5 million stashed away in your stock portfolio. That was like, I was nowhere close to that. So then I looked at my real estate portfolio and I had like a third of my money in my real estate portfolio, but it was throwing out twice as much money as my stock portfolio. And I was like, okay, that was my light bulb moment. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm doing something differently. And you know, um, you, you think you're a professional, you, you have a high income, that doesn't necessarily translate to high net worth. It's almost like having gold and handcuffs because you have this high mm. income and you rely on it and the traditional path is to work till you're 65 and then retire and you almost you stop doing that because if you're not if you're only investing traditionally like in the stock market to get to that point where you have two and a half million and you you, you get that you're able to withdraw safely from that to meet all your needs it's going to take a long time and I didn't want to be doing that my kids were at that time they were like two and five I wanted to spend more time with them and I didn't want to have this this uh, anxiety again about job transitions and not having autonomy and being burnt out. Um, so I, I know both of you love this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was the pivotal moment for me. So I read it and he talks about the four quadrants being employed or self-employed and then being a business versus investor. And I was like, wait, I'm in the E quadrant and that's the worst place to be. And he also talks about the five people that you interact with the most and what quadrant they are in. And I looked and I was like, 
uh, everybody was an E except my parents who were business people and investors. Because at that point, they had retired from their W-2 jobs and they'd built a couple of businesses uh, back home. And then they all, they always had the real estate empire that they were building. And I was like, wait, I'm doing something wrong and I need to be shifting. And so that, that was the inflection point for me. So um, I remember I took the book and um, the last page I sat down and I had a three-year goal written down. So I was like, okay, I'm going to buy these many properties. And I actually did the research and found out what my financial independence number was. So that's the number that I need to hit uh, in passive income um, every year for me to meet all my family's expenses, including discretionary spending. And I was just, it, it had to be passive, right? So I'm not talking about tax savings because I'm active in my real estate business. I'm not talking about, you know, I love medicine. I'm still going to be working a few days in medicine um, every month. I'm not including that because that's active income. Um, I'm not, I coach, I'm not including um, my coaching business. I was looking purely at passive income that my realtor was going to throw off. And I put it, made a three-year goal. And the, the amazing thing about goal setting is that once you set those goals, you, invariably you hit those goals faster than you think you're going to be able to do it. And within a year, uh, my, I had 5X my portfolio and I 10X the income from it. And, and then I was like, okay, I, I thought it was going to take three years. It took me one year. And I'm hmm. where I am. And at that point, I also found that it was a year into the pandemic. There was a lot of uncertainty for medical professionals uh, with the pandemic. And um, a lot of us took on more volume than we were used to before the pandemic. And I was getting burnt out. Um, so there were days where I was I was working from home, which is which is amazing. I had that, I'm, I'm blessed to have you know been able to do that as a radiologist. Um, and but I was working till midnight. My kids were sleeping in the office with me because they wouldn't go to bed without me. And it was more, I was juggling more than I could handle. And and then I looked at my passive income and I said, wait, I'm at the point where I'm financially free. So I I am going to choose um, to scale back. My daughter was three uh, at that time. And I said, I have two more years with her before she goes to school. Um, you know, we're just, I'm just going to do it. And, um, and I decided to, to just say, I'm going to work a day, uh, a week in medicine. I love that. I'm going to have time for my real estate. And, um, and, and yeah, that was that. Um, so um, I, I've built my portfolio at this point to where I do short-term rentals and I've done burrs. That's because I'm, I, I was in the growth phase and I wanted to, you know, scale rapidly. Um, but then um, the, the amazing thing about real estate is that you can um, titrate things. So in a few years, I'm probably going to go back to where everything's completely passive and I'm completely hands-off and that's how I'd like it to be. Uh, but, but, yeah, real estate is the vehicle that got me to where I am. And um, and I, for me, that was like, it was mind blowing. And I've been talking, I started talking to friends about it. I was trying to talk to everybody I could meet. And I felt like I wasn't having enough of an impact. Um, so I started these social media groups where I started, um, you know, getting professional women together and talking to them about the magic of real estate investing. And the community just grew to the point where now, you know, we have a community and, um, and I mentor a lot of professionals um, so that they can, they, you know, they can use the same principles to get to financial freedom. Right. So, you know, for, for our investor community and everybody that are listening to, to us, when we talk about financial freedom, for a lot of people, it's exciting. For others, like daunting, right? Because it's a foreign concept to even think about when they look at their current lifestyle, what they have as an income and expense and how they can possibly create that passive uh, recurring income so they can live life on their own terms. And that's what we are all about it. And I, I want to emphasize what you just said, that you had to figure out your number because there isn't a number that applies to everybody, right? Uh, a single person that lives in a studio in um, San Francisco, for example, let's say it's completely different than a family in New Jersey with high taxes. It's complete. We are talking different, different numbers. So walk me through for the people that are listening to it. Is this just a matter of like income and expenses? How did you come up with that number? And I am also curious, did you have to adjust your lifestyle in order to meet that that number quicker or what you had what worked for you to really reach that number in a short period of time yeah um so uh what i did and was that fortunately i live in bakersfield california so the cost of living isn't as 
bad as some other places. But that being said, I um, I like to, um, so when you're factoring those numbers in, right, you're talking about income and you're talking about expenses. So I think it's very important for people when they take looking at that income to also factor in pensions or social security num- uh, that they may get at a certain point um, and then the age at which they're getting it. But if you're looking to become financially independent sooner, then you're likely not going to be factoring all of those numbers and it's possibly just going to be passive income, which would be from your stock portfolio where you should you would be withdrawing a little bit from it. You want to be withdrawing safely, which is where we talk about that 4% withdrawal rate. So if you have a portfolio, you're going to start withdrawing today to be safe and to know that it's going to last you 30 to 50 years, which is what you want any passive income to do. You want to use those numbers and figure out how much you're getting from that portfolio. And then the rest of it would come from any other source of, of income that you're generating. But when you're doing expenses, and, and I have a complete worksheet on my website that people can go to if they want to look at this. But when you're thinking about expenses, you're going to talk, you're going to include everything, right? So you're going to include your mortgage, um, all uh, childcare costs, anything else that you spend on the kids, um, you're going to be including utilities, uh, expenses for uh, for your car, um, gas, um, insurance costs. So if you if you don't if you have a W two job and that's one of the things that keeps people stuck in those jobs is is the benefits that you get from it. So you're going to be factoring in all your insurance, like life insurance. Uh, you may not need disability insurance at that point, but but healthcare, um, auto insurance, uh, insurance on your home. So all those insurances, and then you're also going to include discretionary spending. That anything that you spend on um, on travel, because you, as you said, it's also important to have that. Life lifestyle end of the day. And for some people, it may mean scaling back. And I've seen you know, a lot of people do that successfully because there are ways to, you know, to, to spend less and still have a fulfilling life. It has nothing to do with, you know, taking luxurious vacations. But if you want to be able to continue to do that, then you want to factor that into your equation. So you, t- you talk about all kinds of expenses that you may have, including health insurance costs, childcare, um, the cost of private school, if you're sending your kids extracurricular activities and all discretionary spending, groceries, all of that is included in there. And that's what you, how you come up with that number. Love that. The um, You also talk a lot about like building a portfolio that like works for you. And I, and I think that's just something to highlight and we can kind of talk through what your process Obviously, it comes back to income and expenses, but it's bigger than that, right? Lifestyle is more than just the numbers. And for, you know, I I think about so many times, right? People want to get into a particular asset class or because they think they should, or it's what everyone else is talking about, (laughs) you know, or just fill in the blank. And I don't think there's as much of a mindfulness to say, okay, is this going to get me to the lifestyle that I want? So what were some of the questions that you asked yourself? Because you had to have asked yourself some questions and get really like honest with yourself um, beyond the income expenses. Just, I mean, all the things you just said were, were, were great. And I think that's a really a, a layer that needs to happen. What were those other questions though to like to say, you know, what will work for you? Because it's bigger than just money, right? It's how much time I'm spending on managing that asset to your point. Um, you know, how we treat a short-term rental if we're managing it is different than, than a, another asset class in another state, right? It, it, and so I'm curious what questions you asked yourself. How did you get clear for yourself as you navigated where to spend your time and energy on which asset class to get you to that number goal? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Liz. And so I think the way most of us start out is that we see a friend or a colleague doing something and we almost feel like, and across the board, when I talk to people, this is what they say, but this is what uh, I've seen people do. And then you feel like that's the only way to do it. Uh, and and sometimes um, that brings up all these limiting beliefs. Well, they can do that, but I can't do that because it's I don't have the time or I don't have the money or it doesn't fit mm-hmm. my risk. Uh, 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 profile. Um, and so, and so that's what I, I, I like to talk about is the real estate is not a one size fits all thing. There are so many different ways of doing it. I think it's so important for you to pick what works for you. So for me, I started off. So my mentor, the way he was doing it is he lived in New Jersey and he owned all his rentals in Tennessee. So he was doing out of state investing. He had a great team on the ground, a property manager who was helping him to, um, manage everything. And it was just mailbox money for him. And that's how he did it. And he paid all cash for most of his properties without using leverage, right? That worked for him. And, and so when I started off, I started doing that because essentially what you do is you like, you find something that works for someone and then you take the same thing. You don't, you're not reinventing the wheel. You take that and you just apply the same principle. So that's how I started off. And it worked great for me because um, at that time, I didn't know for sure if I was going to settle down in Bakersfield, California. And so just having an out-of-state portfolio worked because I could keep building that and I still had the mobility to, you know, to move uh, if I needed to. Um, and, uh, and, 
it was also very passive. So with out-of-state investing, and I think it's scary for some people when they hear about it uh, because they think that it's easier to just have your portfolio close by. But because this is what I had seen and I'd seen how he was doing it successfully, it was easy for me to just build on that. As long as you have a great team on the ground, you can you know can keep it super passive and you could just keep building that portfolio. Um, and, and that's how I started. But um, what I, and then over time, what happened is that I started because I wanted to grow rapidly. I started doing the Burr model where I'm buying, rehabbing properties and recycling my money. So I started doing that and short term rentals. And um, I was using some advanced tax strategies to be able to shelter my clinical income. And for that, I needed to materially participate and put more hours in. So I shifted my strategy to where I started becoming more active because it was going to give me more returns. I was recycling my money and using it to rapidly scale. So I shifted to a more active uh, way of managing those. Um, uh, my portfolio. And so I just realized that I was easily able to transition from passive, like completely passive with my out-of-state portfolio. And like, this is passive with direct ownership, right? You're directly owning these properties to active. And then I know I can confidently go back to passive whenever I want to. So, so the biggest thing for most people is like, okay, I don't have the time and that's a big limiting belief. So this is not going to work for me. And I like to say that there are so many ways of doing it and you can keep it, you can be completely hands off and still grow your portfolio, or you could be super if you want to use those tax strategies, materially participate, or if you want higher returns, right? because that's essentially what you're doing when you're active, you're getting higher returns. So that's one way of shifting strategies. And the other big thing that people say is, well, I don't have the money to, 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 to just invest and scale rapidly. It's going to be super slow. So it's not going to really help me get to that point. But then again, that's the thing with, with, <laughs> with real estate investing. So like my mentor, he just went all in, all cash, and he didn't, you know, he doesn't like to be leveraged. And over time, I've realized that Leverage is super awesome if you don't have the money or you want to grow rapidly because your returns are significantly higher um, and your your you know not just your cash flow but your, the equity that you're building up in those properties is also significantly higher when you leverage. So I've taken the middle path in that and then and you can pick where you want to be and then creative financing, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be all your money. You can use other people's money. You know you could do the burst strategy like we talked about where you're rehabbing a property, forcing appreciation because you can do that with real estate. You don't have to wait for market appreciation you can force appreciation and then recycle that money um and you and you can leverage this is that's the beauty so when you use creative financing a lot of people i mean especially when in, in the non-professional space are building massive portfolios without really having to put a lot of their own money into it so again there's so many strategies you can use you know you can have little to no money in in that um, in your portfolio and you can still scale rapidly. So I don't think money should be a limiting belief, although it is for a lot of people. And I just want them to see that there's so many ways of doing it. And then the next thing is risk appetite, right? So a lot of people will say, well, real estate is risky because I know a friend who had this and then the tenants trashed the place and it, oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And then this person was a builder and see what happened with the pandemic. And, and it's the same thing. It's like, it's, um, you can pick what works for you. I'm super conservative. Um, I like to really, uh, you know, know where I'm going going in. I don't like taking a lot of risk. So um, I buy class A minus and class B properties in, um, you know, in hybrid markets where there's great, um, you know, rent growth, but then there's also um, a decent amount of appreciation happening. So it's not just a cash flow or an appreciation market. So hybrid markets, and I like stabilized residential, which is a safe space to be because everyone needs a space to live. Um, and that's how I risk stratify. Um, and I, I really, and then education, right? When you educate yourself, you're really taking a lot of that risk out. And then there are some people who go in, with and I've done this too. When you go in with when you do um, a rehab project or you do short-term rentals or you're going into ground-up developments, you're taking on a little more risk, but for higher rewards. And you could choose to do that if that's what you want to do. And if you and if you have the reserves and the resources to do that, or you could stay super uh, super conservative and you could just pick where you want to be on that spectrum. Um, and, and 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 that's 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 what I like to coach about, right? So you get to pick, and it doesn't have to be as scary, and you don't have to have the same experience as your neighbor because. You, know, you get to pick what works for you based on what your goals are. And if you're if you're trying to get to passive income within a few years, then your goals will be very different from someone who wants to work for the next 15 years, but just wants to keep building wealth. And um, and yeah, and so it's not one size fits all. There's a different strategy that will work for everyone. I want to pick back on the short-term uh, rental strategy. Um, I've been doing it for quite a long time. And I think that uh, especially right now, the opportunity is is there. In an um, interview with Avery Carl, uh, we were talking about different strategies to do 
even short-term rentals, which can be completely different. And I really love a strategy that she mentioned um, that one of the biggest challenges for short-term rental is really the initial money that you need to put in, right? Sometimes you need to fix the property. Sometimes you need to, sometimes a lot of the times, all the time you need to furnish and make sure the property looks nice. One thing that she said is like, you can really cut a lot of costs if you purchase a, a vacation home that is already furnished and you can just, you know, give a lift. That will save you a lot. So I, I for all of you that are looking to short-term rentals, Avery just launched a book about it. We highly recommend her. And they also trained uh, folks, investors that want to have short-term rentals out of state. So <laughs> I love that because if I had that training before, probably I wouldn't have made so many mistakes <laughs> during my journey. So for those of you that want to check Avery out, her website is the shorttermshop.com. Check her out. We're going to add that information on our show notes too. So for a short-term rental, Param, what have you learned that really works? If you, if you were to pick like, this is my must-have when I am analyzing a short-term rental potential deal, what does it make it a deal for you and what does not make a deal for you? Because I think that that's where the, the entrance point, right, for all the folks that are looking into this strategy. Um, what are your criteria? Yeah, so the short-term rental space is so fluid because things are changing constantly, right? Even with with, with the economic trends, I think the first few months of COVID, a lot of the sh uh, the short-term rental spaces didn't do so great because everything was shut down, and then then it picked up with like with a huge uh, with a huge boom. So there, there's uh, so I think. I mean, if you look at, I, I feel on my spectrum, I think long-term rentals are more conservative and short-term rentals, you can get great returns, but you really need to know what you're doing. And the most important thing, and I'm sure you've, you've realized this also, Andressa, is regulations, right? Picking a market where you really know the regulations support short-term rentals. And even when you pick something where the regulations right now are friendly, I think it's really important to know what your exit strategy is going to be in, in the event that something changes over time, because in a lot of markets, even those that are super short-term rental friendly, things have been changing. So um, I think it's important to just know what your strategy is and factor all of that and be super conservative about underwriting the, the property. Um, and the thing with short-term rentals is also running numbers differently because there are more assumptions, right? So you want to make sure you understand um, the occupancy rates and the average daily rates you want to run those numbers very conservatively because I think and you've seen this Andressa so I think pre-pandemic the numbers were very different from what they are right now and so I think you know be conservative about that um, and, and pick a market where hopefully you're having um it's a year-round short-term rental space, right? So it's not too seasonal. Um, and, and if it is seasonal, then make sure you're you're fa figuring all, factoring all of that in into it. So the numbers, uh, that's huge, making sure you're actually underwriting the property correctly. But um, I like what you said about, and a lot of people have been doing this, about buying the property as a second home, where you're able to get better financing, where you're able to put less down, you get better interest rates. And I think that really does make a huge difference when you're running the numbers, if you're able to get it financed as a second home. Again, you need to talk to your um, lender and make sure you're you're meeting all the criteria and then they're okay with it. Because I think some lenders are particular about the first year of uh, about how it's used the first year, but just make sure and but make sure you go with a lender who is okay with you using the property as a short-term rental, even year one. Um, and then that's a great way to make those numbers actually work favorably for you. Um, I, I, I tend to be very conservative. So I like places where um, if you're purchasing it and if it's a place that you tend to go to often, you could have some dual use because I think having that dual purpose in there, I think it adds that layer of sa safety. So in the event that, you know, things don't work out and the numbers aren't great, and even if you're breaking even at that point, I think it still makes sense because you have a property that's uh, increasing in value, hopefully over time, and you are you have that uh, equity buildup, but you're also able to use it for your family. So I think, I think that's a way of staying conservative um, with it. Um, and then I, oh, um, I think one thing I want to mention is the fact that if you're self-managing a property, you get huge tax benefits with a short-term rental, because if you have material participation, and then there are seven tests to meet that, I think the easiest ones to meet are if you're spending 100 hours or more on that property and more than anybody else, or 500 hours managing that property, then you're able to do uh, what's called cost segregation and bonus depreciation, which is where you're accelerating the depreciation on a property, which the depreciation is what a lot of real estate 
investors get and the IRS allows that, that's a paper loss that helps you shelter other income. So um, if you are materially participating, then you're able to get those huge tax benefits. I think for a lot of professionals who have large W-2 incomes where they're paying huge taxes, that's something that really it just makes those numbers more juicy and more favorable when you're factoring that in. But if you're not going to be Mm, uh, self-managing, then uh, property management costs can be significantly higher for a short-term rental. So you want to be accurately plugging those numbers in. Um, so, you know, sometimes it can be as high as 30%, so, but anywhere from 15 to 30%. So make sure you're putting all of that in, you're factoring in supplies um, and, uh, and everything else. And then the cost of furnishing, definitely. But again, if you're, mat- if you're um, materially participating and you're ma- self-managing, then you may be able, then you should be able to um, get a tax benefit on, uh, you know, you should be able to expense that out or um, it, because it's personal property and then be able to get some tax savings on that. So actually makes that cost less, uh, more, more palatable um, when you're, when you're doing that, but, but yeah, factoring yeah. all of that in and making sure you have the you're running the numbers, right. Um, and that's super important. There are a lot of short-term um, rental calculators of there, which are very different from your long-term rental calculators. Um, and I have one on my website. There are so many other sources for it. Just make sure when you're running that property, you're running the numbers right and you have exit strategies because if things change, you need to be able to figure out what you want to do. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this. I, I, you know, and I, I want to circle back to Param, you said, um, you know, with regards to, the, I think it's so important what you're saying around, I mean, the tips you're giving with the short-term uh, rental process is huge. I, I'm, Andressa knows so much more about short-term rentals than me. I'm like a, I'm like in kindergarten when it comes to short-term rentals. Um, Cause we focus more on long-term assets over our, our tenure and commercial and a bunch of other things. But I think, the the bottom line, right? So many times is like, you're, t- you have to know your niche. You have to know that this is a business and, um, and you have to study that business just like you would any business for that matter. But I, I love what you're saying too. And you were talking a moment ago too, about before the burr and the short-term rentals, Th- these are strategies that are getting you to your greater goals. And so many people don't spend any time even Figuring that they want more cash flow, right? Obvious. They want more wealth, obvious. They may want to leave their job, obvious to them. But it's not. It, it has to be so much more in depth. I think before they actually jump in. So many people are like, "Should I do this? Or should I do that?" Well, yeah. Okay. I, I have no idea how to even answer that. Where do you begin to answer yeah. that question? That is such a big question. That I, how many times you get that, Andressa? Should I? Should I? Should I? You know. Should I flip this property or should I get into short-term rentals right now? I have a standard right answer. It depends. It depends. <laughs> and then Andressa follows up with, here's the deal. Here's um, the that's deal. Her, her signature. Let me ask her, my qualification yeah. questions and then I go. Right. But I, but I want to oh. say something and I, I want to speak to the women listening. This is so important. You're talking about money goals. You're talking about lifestyle. You're talking about tax strategy. These are such powerful kind of strategic conversations Mm -hmm. that really need to get flushed out prior to investing actively or passively in any deal. 
hands down. Because quite honestly, a person could be like, hey, I can, I can, I can passively invest over the next 10 years, replace my income with this chunk of money, and I'll be financially set. Or that's not going to happen. So there's literally 15 to 20 different roads a person can take in this business. And I just feel like, and then you go to the passive route and say, I can either invest, uh, you know, in a syndication or I can lend my money out. I'm more interested in lending right now, quite honestly. We have syndications. We have so much depreciation and, and, and ways to, I, we don't, we're not high paid employees, me, me and my husband, right? Yeah. Um, so, so that's not as important to me, right? What's important to me yeah. is getting more, more of a return right now. I'm more interested in getting 10 to 12%. And if I can yeah. lend my money out, to, um, you know, kind of like trusted operators. I'm much more interested in that than passively. And I'm passively investing in our own deals. But you know what I mean? Totally different goal set. So I I just want to say that because I think so many women and so many investors really go to like the fifth, the sixth and the seventh question. But where, because the the first and second and third question actually takes energy. It takes time. It takes quiet time in your life. Um, And quite honestly, it takes some strategic, financial planning. And it's not like this big thing. It's literally, where do I want to be in five years? What kind of money do I need for that? I mean, this is not complex, but it takes time. And I just want to really put like a pin in that for women because we just want to like start doing something, you know, should I do this or should I do that? And then we we run ourselves in circles. God, can I tell you how many deals and properties we would not have bought when we first started had we done that kind of thinking and planning? hands yeah. down, like so many things that we still own today, we would not have owned, you know, and I just wish I did that type of work then. And it doesn't take like a strategic plan. I'm talking basic questions that we're talking about now, you yeah. know? So anyway, I just want to put a pin in that because I think it's really important. A question for you as you navigate. So, so you at, you're at your financial freedom number. What are you doing now to one, one maintain that number does not get discussed enough because you sell something, that number can change, right? The market shifts, that number can change, right? We're all in flux. Um, we had these three assets that we had, we had like, you know, making some passive income on, we sold them. So now, okay, now you have to redeploy Mm -hmm. that money, not get hit on taxes. And how do we make that money up? Right? So these are all things that are real stuff. So how are you like kind of maintaining your number, maintaining your business? growing your business and staying true to kind of like the lifestyle that you want um, to kind of keep things moving along. How, how yeah. are you managing that? And what are you doing to put in place, you know, um, you know, kind of just keeping yourself in check? Yeah, that's a great question, Liz, because you come to the point where, so you all this time you're trying to scale and you have a number and a goal. And you're like, when I'm at this point, I have more choices. And that's absolutely true. But then you also get to that point and you're like, so what next? Right. So that's a big question. And so uh, the good thing is that uh, in the last uh, year, I've also had performance coaches, business coaches and personal coaches. And so, and that really helps because um, so that was my thing. I was like, I'm here and I'm scaling back because I want to spend time with the kids. And, and so, but I can also grow. And, and now because I'm in this space, I know what those growth opportunities are and what, what, what should I be doing? And, uh, and so it was eye opening for me to be told that, you know, I can do both things. I can still be present for the kids and still continue to grow. So, so I am, I mean, I do have some um, growth goals um, in terms of what I'm doing with my portfolio. I like to just buy and hold list. So most of what I, what I have. So when I, when I do the rehabs and stuff that I'm, I'm super active, but then uh, after you're done with that, it just shifts into that passive mode where then you're just collecting the checks. And, you know, even if you're self-managing, it's, it is super passive. So, um, and then what happens with the market shifts is that the property prices can go up and down, but the rents typically, and even with the 07, 08 crash, rents typically tend to plateau or go, maybe a dip, take a little bit of a dip. So I'm hoping that even if there is a correction, um, the rents stay um, straight pretty flat, especially depending on what markets you pick. And the markets I picked are, uh, you know, I picked Houston as one of my uh, favorite markets because the hybrid market rents keep growing because of job growth and stuff. So um, I'm anticipating rents to not drop significantly. So as long as I'm holding, I'm okay. Uh, but then, uh, but again, I mean, uh, with, with the tax strategies, I am, I do have money coming in and I, I will be deploying it. Um, and uh, I'm probably just going to continue to grow without selling much. That's just my strategy. It works for, it works for my goals. It's what I saw my parents do also. It's, it's mo- almost always just buy and hold. And then if you are selling, then either use a 1031 exchange to defer the paying taxes on that, or then, or use uh, advanced strategies, purchase something else, and then cost segregate that. So you're sheltering those taxes. Um, I, I, I doubt I'm going to be selling um, anything that I've purchased 
uh, in my portfolio because I like my portfolio to be more younger properties, less than 15 years old. And because I wanted that long-term hold um, and that's just what works for me. I know a lot of people like scaling every three years, just, you know, um, taking all that um, lazy equity that's sitting in there and then just um, doing a 1031 exchange and purchasing something. For me, if I have um, lazy equity sitting in there, I like to do a cash out refinance, pull that money out and then buy another property. So um, if if um, equity goes up and I've done that um, with my portfolio in the last year. So if there is another significant you know, um, increase in equity in my properties and um, I'm at a point where I think cash out refinances would still work for my portfolio, I may consider doing that and then continue to grow and just build my portfolio based on that. Um, and I think the, a good thing for for people um, to also remember is that if you have a great system in place, like with a great team and in a great market, and you know what you're doing, it's super simple to just build, continue to build on that without having to like develop another system. And if I were to do anything at this time with my kids being so young, I'd probably keep it super passive and just build on the systems that I already have in place. Um, and and uh, yeah, so I don't, um, I prefer to just do um, cash out refinances and then just keep those properties there, but tap into that hidden equity and then just build if I need to, and then use all those tax savings and use that to continue to build. I'm likely going to stick to the same markets and continue to do the same things. I may do more burrs because, uh, you know, they do, they are they, they, uh, more renovations because they force appreciation and, and all of a sudden you have a great property. A lot of the, pro and it's easier to get those properties, especially in the current market because they sit on the market longer. Uh, some more, A lot of people don't want to take on the work, but I have systems in place. So it's super easy for me to pick those up at maybe a little bit of a discount and then just, you know, force appreciation rapidly. So that's what I see happening within in, in the next few years. Makes a lot of sense. The the question though, with your buy and holds, what type of buy and holds are you involved in? Um, so it's um it's mostly single family homes, uh, townhomes, okay. um, and um, they are in the markets where I think there's this good, you know, a job growth and market appreciation. So they're hybrid markets mostly. Yeah. But, but townhomes in general. And so are those, like, are those part of condo associations or, you know, so, uh, they're all part of uh, HOAs, uh, okay. but they're not condos. Um, I, I started to stay away from condos, but it's mostly single family homes and townhomes. Okay. I find that with the small, uh, the financing tends to be better with those. And, and I think uh, if I were to go big and I am considering doing this, I would consider GPing like a, a larger apartment complex, something that's possibly 80 units or larger, just because now you have um, in-house property management. And I think that there's just uh, economies of scale work better over there. Um, whatever's in between, I'm I'm more comfortable with staying either with the single family homes or just moving much larger into the greater uh, than 80 mm -hmm. units where you have in-house property management, just because I, I feel that that would be more hands-off and easier for me to handle with in terms of financing and in terms of property management. Makes a lot of sense. The, um, yeah, and it just depends on, you know, uh, what type of, you know, because people think syndications like passive, you know, but if you're building a syndication business, it's very active. It is. It's a yeah. business, right? You're building a business and then, you know, uh, you're you're also potentially investing, but you're almost like investing as an LP. But if you're on the GP side, you're actively running that business. And I think uh -huh. that sometimes people don't realize that, right? Not yes. that that's a right or wrong thing. It's just something that I think people see it on the outside and see it as like this passive thing, but it's really not, you know, yeah, I mean, it doesn't yeah. mean you do it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the in-house property management, what I've seen too, is there's a lot of, um, there's, there is an economy of scale. We haven't brought property management in, in, in house yet. And we know various people who have, and who do that. Um, but yeah, there's probably pros and cons. That's an interesting uh, piece and discussion point. Um, so, you know, in terms of like your biggest, learning since you have quit your job, what would be just as we kind of close things out, what would be something you wish you knew before you quit your job or, or not quit, but I know you're doing it one day a week, but what's, what's one thing that you wish you knew when you left your kind of full-time job or something that you wish you kind of did or realized now, now that you do realize? Oh, I don't know how to answer that list because I almost feel like it's the honeymoon period, right? So just like, <laughs> uh, but right now I'm just enjoying it so much. I, I had a lot of fears about quitting uh, the job with benefits, um, you know, and, and my job was awesome. It had a pension plan um, mm. and healthcare benefits at the age I retired at the age of 58, which was like another 18 years. But my kids would be out of uh, out of the house at that point, and it just um, it was a it was a really hard choice. It was a great job because I was also able to work from home um, three you know two days a week, and I was going in two days a week. So um, I was giving up a lot of good 
things. Um, and so it was hard to make that choice. But uh, I think I was more afraid of leaving than I needed to be because now that I've done it um, and I've taken that leap, I almost feel like um, I, I did not understand how how joyful it was going to be. Like I wake up mm. and I suddenly don't have to do five things at the same time. And it makes me feel guilty almost. I'm like, wait, why is it that I can only, I only, I'm only doing one thing at a time. Why is it that I'm not running? Why is it that I'm playing with my daughter on the swings in the middle of the day and I have nothing else to be doing? So I'm, um, I, but I, I also think it's very important when you get to this point to be super intentional about how you're spending your time, because I still have, I still have my coaching business. I still have the real estate that I'm managing. I'm doing a bar right now. Um, so it's, I think it's important to be intentional about how you structure your day, um, you know, taking blocks of time out for the kids, but also having that time for yourself. And I think as women, we tend to put ourselves last. So you really need to take the time out for yourself, take the time out for your other businesses. So uh, even when uh, you have the time, being intentional is super important. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to do what you're doing um, and or be present with your kids that, or your family the way you want to be. So, um, but but otherwise, I think um, I think you should ask me this question a few years from now, Liz. I probably okay. will have more insight. Right now, I'm just enjoying this so much. Um, and it's just been a blessing. So what I hear you saying too, and I think it's a really, really good lesson for the women listening is that something that you did, you didn't realize how much joy you would have gotten. You, you, you didn't realize how much joy you were going to get from it as a result. And I think often we delay our gratification. As women, we delay our, our decisions. We, we really, things seem so much bigger in our heads for everything. I mean, you can even take that on a simple level, whatever decisions we're making seem really big, especially leaving your, your, you know, I mean, you weren't, you were doing something that you were probably very good at and passionate about. I mean, it wasn't like you were stepping away from something that you didn't have a connection to. Yeah. Um, that's big, you know, and, and yeah. things just seem bigger. So I think whatever decisions, uh, you know, the women listening are making, you know, are needing, need, need to make, uh, we need to make them with intention. And we also need to say what, what's the, um, what's the cost and the benefit of this? You know, because we often look at the, what the negative things that can happen, <laughs> you know, uh, oh, I'll have to go back to my job or do, 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 I won't make the kind of money I think I'm going to make. I mean, there's, we all go to like negative, you know, negative land very quickly, but what's the benefits that are come from it? The joy I'm going to feel, the fact that I can take my child to the park in the middle of the day. I mean, these are things that can, we can all get behind big time. So just to put a pin in that, you know, just to kind of reiterate that for the woman listening, right? I think we often think about all the things that can go wrong. And I love that you're saying that I, I didn't realize how much joy I would get from it. And maybe I could have done it even sooner or, or, oh, right. And, and God, so many things like that. So uh, that's great stuff. Um, Pram, this has been great. Uh, where, where can the ladies listening learn more about you and, um, you know, follow you along your journey? Yeah, I have a website. It's um, www.generationalwealthmd.com. And for anyone who's been listening from the beginning, you want to run your financial independence numbers. I have a financial independence worksheet on there that's free that you can download. I have calculators for long-term rentals and short-term rentals that also help you run those numbers. So those are great free resources. I have a blog where I talk about you know basics for anyone who's just beginning to start up. So um, I think that there's a lot of free resources over there. Um, I also have a Facebook group, Generational Wealth MD. Um, and that's a nice place to connect with people who are on the same journey, who are, you know, looking for financial freedom and to get that balance in life. Yeah. Great. All this information you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one is, what's the most transformational book you ever read? I think I have to go back to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because it was just, that was the point where everything shifted for me. And I continue to, go, to lean back on that and, and draw from that. So yeah, absolutely. It's always right. Second question is, uh, what's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life? Um, I think um, meditation. I do meditate every day. And, um, and then again, as I said, being very intentional about how I structure my day and taking blocks out for my kids where, you know, that there's no phone around me and I'm being completely present because the whole point of this of financial independence is just to be there, to be completely present in everything you're doing. And it doesn't happen without being intentional about it. So, um, I have, um, monday.com. I use that. I structure my day, but I have like blocks that are carved out and days that are carved out for being just with the kids being present and just doing that, you know, just being completely there for them. That's awesome. The last question is which woman famous or not has inspired you the most? 
Um, I would have to just say my mom because uh, she uh, she's just an amazing woman. She works so hard. Um, she she gives so much of herself, you know, without boundaries, which I don't think it's all good. But it's amazing how someone could do that. Um, and then she's also an amazing real estate investor. And I've come to appreciate that more recently, <laughs> everything that they've mm-hmm. achieved, how much they've done. So I would say it has to be my mom. Awesome. Uh, Pram, thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks for uh, sharing your your great knowledge and path and journey with, with us and our community. So we appreciate your time so much. Thank you so much, Liz and Andres. I had so much fun being with you guys. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.